All right, last hour on a uh, Tuesday, the last day of February. We welcome in from Husker 24-7, Brian Christofferson. Good morning, BC. Good morning. How you doing? Good. I had a quick I want to start. You're a big uh, Minnesota Twins fan, and this is a uh, year of high expectations for the uh, Twins. I don't know if you got a chance because you were busy covering Nebraska basketball and writing about Nebraska football and also mentioning Dylan Riola. So I don't know if you got a chance to watch any of the spring training games this weekend. Um, but as a baseball fan, the pitch clock has definitely changed the pace of play. As a result, the length of games, I think the Twins have played a couple of games, and they're anywhere from 228 to 234. If that stays in that range, because you're a little bit younger, 50, 60, 70s, those were about the average length of games when baseball was at its peak in popularity and baseball had legends that everybody knew. It's never going to replace the NFL in this country, and it has slipped down behind college football, the NBA, maybe another sport. But if that holds true and these games have a better pace of play, does baseball have a chance to rebound? I think they're uh, taking the proper steps to make a a shot at it. Um, I'm not... I'm not overly optimistic. It's going to dramatically, like you know, shift shift the shift the viewership numbers or anything like that. Um, but I think they're always going to have sort of their audience, like me. You know, it's sort of that that niche audience that I follow <clears throat> a specific team, and I'll watch them every day and follow them every day. And that crew is going to be there uh, pretty loyally. But I think I think there's been so many years that have passed where the game really did get slowed down and people's attention spans, I think aren't what they used to be either that even though it's a quicker game now, I still think it's going to be hard to bring some people back. I don't want to be negative about it because I like what they're doing, but that's my honest first thought to that question is I I still think it's going to be tricky to get close to what it once was. Um, just because, in part, I mean, football and, and some other things have just become such a giant. I mean, it's just so hard to compete again. Um, but I like the steps they're doing, so I applaud them for it. Um, I think the one way to look at it, too, is, I like, I'll watch the Twins on a Tuesday night when the season starts. But, you know what, Gary, I probably wouldn't watch another Major League game on it, if I'm honest. Like, I wouldn't, like, go out of my way to watch like the Red Sox play whomever, uh, I might flip over if it's like the ninth inning of that game and I see there's two outs and a guy in scoring position. But that's sort of where I am, and I'm a, I'm pretty loyal to the product. So I, I think it is going to be a, still a tough hill to climb for those that haven't been loyal to the product. Yeah, are you um, – I, I think just kind of going off what you're saying there too, and I had a buddy of mine who's a, also a fellow Cleveland fan who's – he he doesn't know if he can watch right now because of the you know the, the time constraints when it comes to the pitch clock and and what the hitters have to be mindful of. I I told him and I don't know if you agree or disagree. I said it, in college it it almost becomes a non a non factor. You it's weird at first, but then you don't even know it's there. Are you are you someone who's in in support of that uh, of the the pitch clock and the timing? Yeah, I think so. Like, I mean, I, I do think you got to try to speed up the game. It was, it's become ridiculous. I mean, there's been like three and a half hour, you know, four hour games. You know, you're you're spending your night watching. If you know, even if you really care about a team, sometimes you're like, man, this is this destroys relationships yeah. around me. Like, I'm supposed to I'm supposed to go hang out or do this or do mm-hmm. that, and you're watching the you know 
the third hour of a baseball game. So I like that they're trying to speed it up, and I'm not a I'm not trying to be a Debbie Downer about it. I just think I just think it's such a tough hill to climb to get to get back what has been lost over the last twenty to thirty years for various reasons. Pace of play is one of them, um, you know, and and the, I think the strike in the I still go back to the strike in the mid-90s. I was a teenager, and I remember the World Series before that having a significantly different feel than all the World World Series after that for the most mm-hmm. part as far as, like, like the, national de- the, the nation's yeah. attention on it. It just shifted after the strike. And I don't think it's ever quite been the same with maybe some few exceptions here or there, like when the Cubs made their run and everyone yeah. kind of got caught up in it, you know, stuff like that. Brian Christopherson joining us. Uh, we've got to mention him because everybody does. Dylan Riola. And you were at Pinnacle Bank Arena, so you got to see the fans' response. But as 24-7 and we do on the radio and everybody is trying to find that angle that has not been discussed and waiting for an announcement and waiting for when he comes back to Lincoln, what's, what's left to cover about Dylan Riola and also B.C.? What's left that Nebraska has to do? You know, Matt Rule got another opportunity to come to the plate, and for the most part, he has done everything exceptionally well to begin a relationship with the family, with Dylan, um, to make them feel comfortable. They've been here numerous times. They come in on a boys' weekend because mom went to visit daughter in Texas. Um, I mean, what what is left for you to cover about him, and what is left for Nebraska in trying to convince him that this place is right for him, if they haven't already. Yeah, I mean, I do think I think your question's well stated because we're to the point where it's just like almost up to when Dylan makes that decision, and that's the next step in the story. Because you feel like you've kind of narrowed down the list to the main players involved, the main teams, you know, with Nebraska, George. I think USC is, has remained a threat, and does, of course, with you know what what Lincoln Riley has done with quarterbacks, you know, you, you obviously pay attention to them, but when it comes to Nebraska's angle and how they've played this, uh, they couldn't have done it any better. I mean, from the get go, uh, rule and his staff, I think was able to communicate to the family. <clears throat> this is exactly what we're about. Um, this is sort of our plan and how we operate. Um, and obviously we want you in a big way. There's a reason there's nine assistant coaches going to visit him at one point. Um, and so I, I think, you know, they did that. And obviously with his uncle coaching the O-line, I don't always just connect that like, okay, Dylan Ryle is going to make a decision because his uncle's coaching here. But certainly, you know, that's a factor too. There's a family link there. And um, I, I just think when you listen to the interviews that, that Dominic Ryla has done too. Mm-hmm. Um, you can tell he the needle has moved for him and what he thinks about how the program is being run and what its potential is for the future. So I think the Ryola family, um, I think this is safe to say, isn't looking at what has happened the last three or four years of Nebraska football and saying that's the story. I think they they see a different story is about to unfold with with rule and company they believe in that and now it's just a matter of if you want dylan to um you know be be the man who's who is is part of that obviously uh, experiences like this weekend only remind what they probably already knew 
that, you know, you come to this state, um, especially right now with new energy around a new staff, um, and you are a rock star if you're somebody like Dylan Ryle. I mean, I know outside of the, like in the, uh, you know, area just around the arena uh, by the rail yard uh, before the game. I mean, there's people looking for his autograph and all this stuff and chanting his name even outside the arena. So it was quite a scene um, everywhere he went. And, um, you know, he felt the love. And I I think it tells you a lot that uh, they wanted to make that that boys trip uh, this weekend yeah. in Nebraska. I mean, I've, I've I feel pretty good about Nebraska right now with that one. I mean, you got to keep the fight and put your foot down yeah. on the pedal, but I like where they stand. We were kind of joking about uh, on three dropping him to six overall for the 2024 class. And look, we you can look at the sophomore junior year and the difference you know is that part of the story right now too is just you know what kind of senior year does does Dylan have because if it if it isn't markedly better than it was his junior year I mean is there a little cause for concern yeah I mean I don't know I mean if we're if we're talking about like if you're first or seventh or eighth or whatever in a class you're 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 up there in the top tier so but as far um, as his overall play and, and you know development yeah I mean I, I, I think he's he's steadily got better. If you watched um, what he's done from from year to year, and um, he's got good QB teachers surrounding him mm-hmm. um, all the time in the off season, and has had that really from a young age. Um, so I I don't know. I, I feel pretty good about where he's tracking, um, and um, his his numbers I expect are going to be pretty good this this upcoming season. So. Um, I wouldn't worry too much about that. I, I remember still most of all, Nick, when he showed up at that Friday Night Lights a couple of years ago, mm-hmm. and uh, the first the first ball he threw downfield, it was like a, you know, this is like a freshman or sophomore kid at that point. He throws like a 55-yard rope. I mean, a rope. And every you're just like, okay, I, I see what this is all about. Yeah. Like, I mean, there's just some things where you watch a couple throws and some guys just have the traits. Now all the other stuff that's, you know, you you got to have that that formula that works within the game where you're smart with the ball and all that stuff. But you just watch him throw a couple of passes, and you quickly realize whatever his numbers are on the high school field, he definitely has all the tools in the toolbox to be pretty special. Mm-hmm. Brian Christopherson joining us. Uh, stick with quarterbacks. Um, what's your sense, or what are you hearing about Casey Thompson's rehab? You know, we'd always thought, well, he's going to be out for spring, but he'll get mental reps. But, man, Jeff Sims is going to get on field. Then we've heard that he, his rehab from his uh, surgery, he may be ahead of schedule. you have any, any feel of, will we get a fully cleared Casey Thompson during spring football? Yeah, I mean, I wonder a little bit about that. I don't think we should just uh, write in pen that he's not going to be available at all during the spring because it does sound um, – just from the kernels you pick up here and there, that um, it's going about as efficient as it can in his recovery process. So I think the key, though, is um, avoiding the temptation to rush it back also. I mean, you want to you make sure um, that you do the due diligence because you've spent this much time working your body back, and his body's been beat up so much from just his college football experience. You want to get all the rehab time that is required before before you get back out there. Um, but I understand also if I'm Casey Thompson as a competitor, you know that there's going to be sort of a, 
you know, some noise about Jeff Sims in the spring and all that stuff. And you're going to want to be out there and have chemistry with, with your guys too. And so you're still the man. So um, that's sort of an interesting dynamic where, you know, if he were definitely the guy and Jeff Sims weren't around, you would probably just say like, well, you know, take your time, you know, you know, get through mm-hmm. rehab, for sure that you're through the spring and, and then and come back like in right after in the summer. But I would bet as a competitor, it, he's going to be wanting to uh, speed up the process as much as he can. And I understand that. Well, and do you get the feeling that as much as this coaching staff and Matt Rule and, and, and Satterfield understand that, look, we're, we're not going to rush you back, but there's also that, you know, we're not going to rush you back, but also we sure would like to see you sort of competing as, as soon as we possibly can. There's just sort of a fine line there that even the, the, the coaching staff is, is trying to, to walk there. Yeah, I bet. I mean, you, you want to see them up close yourself and, and how guys work with them and all that stuff. I do think you can get some of that even, um, even if it's off the field stuff with, uh, with winter work and what, whatever Casey can do and like how he relates to teammates. So I I think you can get some of that, but yeah, like how the ball's coming out of his hand and stuff Mm -hmm. like that after everything he's been through. I mean, he's, he's had multiple surgeries at this point in his career. Um, There's no question. He's a, he's a tough guy. Like everybody in this area knows that. So there's certain traits you already are aware of with Casey Thompson, but yeah, for this staff, they weren't around here last year. And it's, it's a, you know, I do think a big thing though, probably Nick is going to be that stuff that's happening in meeting rooms and like how you're picking up on what, you know, Satterfield's putting down in front of them. And just like, if there's sort of that, that, that deal where a coach and a player, they just, they have that link, you Mm -hmm. know, it just, you just feel like you're connected to each other. And I, I, I think some people have kind of read into Jeff Sims as being, you know, a guy that, that could be tough to beat because it sounds like, they hit it off pretty quickly with with Jeff Sims, but mm. I, I think the same is certainly possible for uh, for Casey too. Hey, speaking of being connected, why is this team so connected? When it a month ago, BC, I keep going back a month ago today, they walked off the floor at Maryland at ten and thirteen, three and eight. They walk in tonight at fifteen and fourteen, five hundred in the league, and feeling like man, something could happen here. Why has this team become so connected and become so enjoyable? You got to give a lot of credit to the seniors on their last lap here, who I just think were sort of like, I'm not going out like that. You know, I, I feel like your your Sam Grissels, your Derek Walker, even Bandamel, like you know, there was a story told of how uh, it might have been that you no, know, it was the Northwestern game. They lost at home to Northwestern. He's a good team, but Nebraska didn't play very well, and Bandamel had a had a talk for the team about you know don't take for granted this moment. You know, you're out there, you only get so many chances to play college basketball, and, and you've got this chance still to compete this season and do something with it. And uh, I think it really struck a chord with, with players. So I think they've gotten good leadership from the top. And then all the – everybody has sort of accepted his niche and and maximized it. You know, like yeah. Sam Hoiberg, it's, you can almost bank on it. He pops into the game, and he gets a bucket within like a minute. You know, like he'll, it, it seems to happen every night out. And then he'll make that clutch play or two at the end um, that's necessary. I think Jamarcus Lawrence, although he's had the free throw struggles, you can tell he's a guy who's just elevating in confidence with all the other parts every time he goes out there. 
Um, you know, so I don't know. I just feel like it's it's one of those teams where they have a good offensive rhythm. Obviously, Case is say getting hot um, has helped a lot, and he draws a lot of attention. Um, but yeah, it's just fun to watch because they're a team that uh, I I think they believe like every time they step on the floor right now, hey, we can get it done. It's not like a thing. Maybe we can. I I think tonight they. They think they could take down Michigan State in a game which, uh, I don't know, I would think if Nebraska won tonight, you really got to start considering that NIT mm. possibility as, as a real thing. And I, I like that this team is like, I mean, they don't specifically talk about the NIT, but it's known that sort of a carrot that's out there. And sometimes, you know, it's like, oh, the NIT, who cares? Around here, that would be some some accomplishment yeah. for, for what's happened with this team. And I like that, that people are excited about it. Well, and real quickly too, I just noticeable, I'll bring him up again just because, look, he hasn't been the headliner. He had a good game against Minnesota, had a great game against Rutgers. But even the, the different minutes that C.J. Wilcher has contributed, you know, you've seen mistakes a little bit more at a minimum. But a guy that's, you know, whether he's playing 30 minutes or he's playing, you know, four minutes, you know, whatever the case might be, He's a guy that doesn't seem to hang his head. I'm I'm looking at guys like Juwan Gary and Emmanuel Bandemal, guys are that that are not physically active but are still a big part of this. I mean, it, does it just speak to the culture, not just with Fred but the assistant coaches as well? That in order for this to even look remotely the way it is, like you had to have those types of players all kind of buying because Wiltshire to me is kind of a perfect example of a guy who is really had a tough kind of go of things a lot because of his own mistakes, but. You know, he's still kind yeah. of sticking with it, and it seems to be, you know, a big part of this here recently. Yeah, I mean, they probably don't win at Rutgers without, you know, C.J. Wilson right. coming in and just being hot right off the bat. And it's a good point by you because a lot of guys would have buried their head and you wouldn't have heard from them mm-hmm. again, you know, or they would have been a problem with the team. I mean, that right. a lot of times that happens where it's a guy like, wait, I was a starter or I was like the sixth guy a year or so ago. And now it feels like I'm at some point, it felt like he was almost like eighth or ninth mm-hmm. in the rotation and he didn't pout. And I think he's an excellent example of just like, I, I got to get better. I think he knew that he wasn't playing at the level he needed to, and he's, he's put in the work and, and definitely he's a guy tonight. Like I, he's always sort of a wild card. Like Wilter needs to have a good game tonight. I mean, that's the thing yeah. with this team. Everybody sort of has to yep. do their, their little part. And I, I think they really embrace that. It's, it's kind of known. Like I, I have to contribute or we don't win. And that's, that's a fun thing when you're part of a team and you know that you matter like that. Right, great stuff, BC. We'll see you tonight. Thank you. Thanks, guys. That's uh, Brian Christofferson. Uh, I follow him on uh, uh, Twitter, and he'll have uh, covering uh, Nebraska basketball tonight uh, against Michigan State. The first game between Nebraska and Michigan State. We'll have more on this because Graham Couch is going to join us in a little bit. Uh, Nebraska got dominated. Mm-hmm. Uh, the perimeter defense for Michigan State was on point that night. Nebraska wasn't very good from beyond the arc. They were 2 of 16. They're a different team now. They don't necessarily rely on that. But there are that game felt a lot like the Illinois game where Nebraska hung around, but then there was a burst. And yeah. The the curious well, there'll be two things, and Graham will speak to this here in a mo- moment. One, any lingering effect from what happened on Saturday night, and how early you'll see that. And then there's the other part of Michigan State, which you may look at them and go, "Man, I like their guards. I like they play top forty defense. I could see them going to the second weekend." But Michigan State all of a sudden has started to score. Yeah. They were not scoring very much. I mean, they didn't score 75 points in their first 15 Big Ten games. Mm-hmm. 
And then the last two games, they've broken out. Well, I mean, we'll see if that happens tonight because what's a number that Nebraska has to keep this game yeah. at? I mean, is a 70-64 type game ideal for Nebraska? Or if can they play a game that's 83-78? See, 70-64 range would be better in the in for Nebraska than yeah. playing 83-78 up and down the floor because I don't think you can go that deep with scoring options all the time down the floor right. like like Michigan State can. Yeah, and that's kind of why I continue to bring him up just because I'm more impressed with how he's handled sort of the ups and downs of the season. But, I mean, if you can get that occasional double-figure scoring night or at least consistent shooting beyond the arc from C.J. Wiltshire, like what that can do, and we know that's not something you should expect every night or you can rely on, but if you can get that, boy, that is a huge lift to what you have to do defensively with – the guys that have been a little bit more of your consistent scores, you know, with with Casey, with Derek Walker, with with even Greasel, you know, it, it, his role tonight, especially, I think, is going to be one to watch. But I, I still think, gosh, if you're more in that seventy sixty range, you're probably feeling a little bit more of your identity, at least. Uh, Graham Couch from the Lansing State Journal coming up next.